Hello there, this is Dr. Casey Bradley, and you're listening to the Real P3 Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the real pork producers around the world. I hope you enjoy. ASF is just about every hog producer's worst fear, but can you imagine living with it for decades? Well, we're going to be visiting with the CEO of the South African Pork Producers Organization, Johan Coates, and he's going to discuss what they've done to compartmentalize their industry and be able to live and thrive under the constant threat of ASF in South Africa. So stay tuned. Well, hello, Johan. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. Would you mind telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm the, the CEO of the South African Pork Producers in South Africa. Uh, we are an organization that was formed through the intervention of a few farmers that got together. So it's a farming body or producers body, and we have a statutory levy, which we collect at the abattoirs. So for every pig that's slaughtered in South Africa, we maintain a levy, and out of that, we manage then the farming side, but also we we work right through the value chain up to the consumer to make sure that the development of pork in South Africa is in a good space. So that's more or less who we are. Very similar to our NPPC and pork boards. So South Africa, how many sows and pigs do you guys raise currently? So first, we we need to talk about the diversity we deal with. So we have an informal sector, which is is really un, unregulated, which means it's, it's quite difficult to maintain good data out of an informal sector. And then we have the formal or the commercial sector. Formal commercial-wise, on, on our side as SAPO, we do about 145,000 sales in total, which is just over 500 producers. So we have also a difference in... I would say about 80% of that 144,000 would be large commercial farmers. And then you have lesser, what do you say, smaller farmers, which varies from 50,000, 100,000 up to, and I think our, our biggest client is about 35,000 sales in total. So what is your average slaughter weights for your market? Yeah, that's one we want to push up. It's always a, a nice debate. In South Africa, we average about 82 to 84 four kilos per carcass slaughter weight. So that's more or less the norm. If you go to the informal sector, they go much lighter. There you talk about 75 kilos, maybe, if it's, if it's not less. So on average, for the, the commercial side, the larger, larger group of farmers that we represent, it's about between 82 to 84 kilos per carcass. That is a light pig compared to what we're raising today, for sure. So, yeah, as as I said, that's a good debate. Huh? It's for us. It is something that we need to develop in. Um, I don't think our processes are rigged to uh, handle larger mm-hmm. carcasses, and I think the market that we service may be a bit different. However, the farmers are pushing, and I understand the concept. It's scale of economy, and it's it's, it's where you make your money. So that's always a a good debate to have. So the, the trend in South Africa is also to go genetically heavier mm-hmm. and leaner. So that I think it's we, we follow the pattern that, that we see that, that the world is also also having. And are you also keeping your boars intact? Or are you still able to castrate in South Africa? We do both. So it's also a nice debate. So we have a program which we do pork 360. So we slaughter at 20, 23 weeks 
our males. Um, so some of our people do castrate. We also utilize the, the chemical one. And then we have people who don't castrate. So it's, it's a bit of all the worlds that we have. And the biggest debate around the world today in the swine industry is African swine fever. You probably were one of the first and longest lasting countries to deal with ASF. The world's kind of interested in learning how you've kind of, as you put it in the before, have lived with it. Yeah, I think that first I need to just maybe state one or two things. I think a few people know that, or don't know that African swine fever is endemic in South Africa. So we have it. The first case was 1928. So we have wild animals. We have, we call them warthogs, lockfarkies in Afrikaans. And you're never going to get rid of it. It's part and parcel of who we are and the way we live. So we, it's endemic. We have it. So as farmers, we know that. I think we also went from a sylvatic cycle to a domestic cycle, which means it's now transferred between domestic pigs. And that's something that kind of picked up in the past four, five years, which is just, uh, it's, it, it feels sometimes it's been out of control. And then there's one province where it haven't broken yet. However, we believe it's even there. So in saying this, I need to start with this to say, as South African pig farmers, we know we have it. Mm-hmm. And so I think our mindset is a bit different. And maybe I want to maybe push out and maybe talk about five things that we've learned. First, I want to acknowledge and say we are so small. And for me to talk to you is a privilege. I don't rec- we don't reckon ourselves as world leaders. We are minute if you look into the world, but we've learned a few things. And I think the first thing is African swine fever can be managed. I don't think you can control it because it's so difficult to control human behavior. And human behavior is the greatest driver of African swine fever. That's what we've seen in South Africa. And I think the first wake-up call for us was to say, you can manage it and we need to manage it. There, There are ways that you can manage it. African swine fever. And I think that was one of the first things we we ventured into to say, we're going to take up the call to manage African swine fever and and we're going to do it. So it's a mind shift of pushing yourself into a space to say it is manageable. You're not going to be dead. There is a way out. Can we look into a different space Mm -hmm. where we, we do it maybe a bit differently? I think the second thing is biosecurity for us as farmers became a way of living. I've seen so many places, and I've, we've traveled a bit in the world to go and understand how other people are, are, are farming and producing pigs. And, and what I've seen is many people just ticking boxes, just ticking a box to say, well, check, check, check. And if they are in a, in a good program, um, they normally tick the boxes to say, but I am clean. I can really say to you in South Africa, we do tick boxes because that's the way you, you, you impound your discipline into your system. However, it's a way of living. The reason why we do it is to mitigate the risk. And I think that's my third point to say that sometimes I I find people that don't view African swine fever as a risk. And they want to fight this virus out of a different concept. And in South Africa, we say it's part and parcel of the risk package that we have. And if it breaks, we have, say, five evils. You need to mitigate your risk to have the lesser of the five evils. It's impossible to say, it's not going to happen. It's impossible to say, well, it's not going to happen to me. So my fourth point would be, I think we started to think of African swine fever out of a concept of risk management. 
How do you mitigate your risk? So when we talk as farmers and we sit down and we talk about biosecurity, we say to ourselves, it can be managed. The way we live is going to prevent this virus to spread. However, we're mitigating risk. We know it's possible, but what is the best way to mitigate risk? And what we found is the moment you put your mind into a space like that, you come up with new interventions. You come up with different concepts. So it sometimes feel we were blindfolded if we just think of how, how can I prevent this virus to, to get into my space? When we got into a space where we said to ourselves, but let's mitigate this risk. Let's push it aside and say, if it happens, I'm not going to die. I'm going to, as a farmer, I, I, there's, there's another way to help, to help us to get out of this, this sink of virus and just get ourselves to a different space. The moment that happened, our minds went open. And, and we kind of understood it in a different way, and we started fighting this. So the fourth thing is we started to think like a virus. So as you all know, South African, as South Africans, I don't know how it goes in the rest of the world, we have a lot of politics. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong, or in our case, is it black and white, or is it the previously disadvantaged, or the new upcoming people, or the industrialists who are quite rich. We've learned that this little virus, uh, has no respect for any politics. Any, it doesn't have respect for the poor or for the rich. It goes into a space where you give the virus the option to function, to multiply itself and to kill. And what we've done is we put aside all the side tracks and all the side focuses we had in the past. And we said to ourselves, we need to focus like a virus and understand how a virus can penetrate a, a piggery. And then what you then do is then you start batting back and you battle that you're going to war with that virus and you, you battle on the virus's kind of platform. So we've pushed ourselves into a space and to say, think like a virus. And the moment you do that and you understand the virus, the mind shift came and we could, to a certain extent, fight it better. We could fight it better off. So that was also a big change for us South Africans to get into a space and then the mindset of the virus. And I think the last one I want to talk about is, or maybe say something about is, is, we are not that sophisticated with traceability yet in South Africa. Although we are traceable and we do it in a proper way, I think there's still a long way for us to go where you can just retract something that, that in your value chain wasn't supposed to be there. So if something happens in South Africa, the whole value chain, we all take, take the hammering. So if we have a break at, say, an abattoir, the whole value chain is, is in, in for a hiding. So we've learned that the fight against a virus, of which African swine fever is a big one for us, is a, a fight that we all take on. It's not just a farmer that fights against the virus. So what we've established is a, a kind of an awareness and also an uh, urgency from the processes, the retailers, the abattoirs, and the farmers to work against this virus. And I think many times it looks like people are functioning in silos. And when it happens, you can just close down that silo. And South Africa doesn't work that way. We all get the hammering. And I think one thing we've learned is to stand together. So the fight against the virus is not just a farmer's issue. It goes right through up to the consumer. And I think we've established quite a good relationship in our value chains to fight against this virus. And I think that the effort the, that we put in 
into the space as a value chain helped us big time in overcoming the concept of, of the battle against this virus. Some very good points. If you don't mind, I'm going to revisit number one. You mentioned when we look at African swine fever, and I thought this was interesting, you talked about poverty kind of being a key to the, that management. And can you kind of talk a little bit more about, you know, as you called it, the undocumented type of pork production versus the more organized pork production, and then how poverty and, and that plays a role in African swine fever in your country? Yeah, so about a year ago, I did a, a course at one of the universities with us, and, and uh, I took African swine fever as, yeah, as a case study for myself because we were then in the middle of some small outbreaks among small farmers and absolutely a stunning concept to work with to say, how are you going to combat ASF? And eventually I got to a point to say, if you can overcome poverty in South Africa, ASF would be half of what we have now. And the reason I say that is in what we, the conclusion we got to when we did this case study in, in, in fighting ASF was poverty in South Africa drives people to the peripheral areas of, of bigger cities. So about, I think it's 63%, they estimate 2030, 65% of all South Africans are going to live in cities. Uh, so they migrate from the rural areas up to the, the, the cities, but they, in essence, are all good farmers because the opportunity in the rural areas are not there anymore, they migrate to peripheral areas, which is, in some cases, is what you can think of the slums. And I think everybody knows about the, the concept through the Kenya slums, which is quite quite uh, known to everybody. So you have that kind of concept and way people are living. Now, with the skills they have, they normally take some pigs with, because pigs play a major role in the culture of, the Africans. For us, pigs are common. It's it's the way we live. Everybody had a pig on a farm and it's part and parcel of what we eat. So it's common to us. But the pigs are also the best converters of waste to protein. So it makes sense that people will take it in. However, it's a high-risk production system. So that informal sector and that informal production system is extremely difficult to manage. And it's pro for the outbreak of African swine fever, purely because of the infrastructure that lends itself to falter or to default to biosecurity. So that is part and parcel of who we are in South Africa. And, and we have that system with us. So it's a high-risk production method. It's lucrative for the people dealing with it. Because the value chain is quite, it's, it's, it's small, it's not as extensive as what you have on the commercial side. And there's always a good market for, for meat because the people who live in that peripheral area, are, are, they are willing to pay for the pork what that people will, will, would ask. So their production cost is quite low. They feed waste and they know the risk. They know about the risk. So the business model entails risk, but they make more money per kilo than what you make commercially purely because of the production system, even though it's a high risk. So that poverty scenario paints a good picture for a virus to, to, to venture into. And that's why we battle to maintain African swine fever just in certain areas. 
So if you go commercial now, how do we survive in a system like this? Mm -hmm. And even though you know that you're never going to eradicate that production method, there is a way, and I think self-learning and people taking control of their own destiny and understanding their own concept is, is some of the ideas that we push to that space and that we manage. As commercial farmers, we do it differently. So years ago, we did compartmentalization. And I think it's, it's a, a term, if I explain it, Maybe the terminology is not common. However, the concept is common to many people in the world. And all we did was, we said as farmers, we need to take our own destiny at hands on our farms. So what we did was we went to our government and we negotiated with government a protocol to put down as a compartmentalization system. And what it means is we create a subpopulation inside that farm and it's controlled and authorized by our government, and then that counts them as a subpopulation. And whatever goes in there is controlled, and whatever goes out is controlled. So even though we have an outbreak next to that farm, that farm would still be reckoned as, as a free trade zone. So we dealt with that, and over and above that, we also, as pork producers, added to that, not just on the health side, which, which gives you the liberty to trade, but also the welfare side, the environmental side, the people side, and management side. And we created a, a Pork 360-ish, that's a, a farm-assured program. We as farmers entailed more discipline through a standardized process into our system. So the first thing I need to say, even though we are compartmentalized and we are Pork 360, we can also break. We know that. Mm-hmm. However, the risk of breaking is mitigated by the standard that we put forth to say, this is the way we're going to farm. And so I, I think a lot of people think that if I am a compartment, I will never break. Your chance is there to break. And I can tell you, it's only one thing. Us, we, the people that work there, somewhere there's going to be maybe a break. It's normal. It's human. But I think what we've, to a certain extent, got right as South African pig farmers is we mitigate the risk. And it's far less riskier than the process without compartments or without Pork 360. Let's dive into this compartmentalization because the term we're going to use in Europe or the U.S. is more regionalization. And I thought it was really interesting learning from you is not only did you take what we'd call a county and then a state would be a province, I think, for you, you went smaller. You went what we'd call a premise ID or a barn and that, hect- as you called it, the hectare acres around that is a compartment and your producers put in different equipment. Kind of explain how you were able to get that precise of a re- or compartmentalization with your government. So South Africa is quite vast. So if you have a look at, our, say, the, the boundary at the north is about two and a half, three thousand kilometers from the south. So... And we have a diverse climate also. So as pig farmers, there's a, there's a huge diversity in infrastructure, huge diversity in, to a certain extent, the climate that they farm with. So we went to the government and said, can we not regionalize compartmentalization, but take each farm as a compartment? So we registered farms then. We, we utilized the GS1 one coding system, which is a, a worldwide uh, term. Mm-hmm in localizing yourself. And what we then did was we registered a farm. So a farm would be registered as a compartment. And what it actually means is 
Nothing goes in without any consent. Whatever you take into that farm, there's a regulated process. There's a, a do and a, do, a don't onto that concept that you cannot do. The concept of, of taking a farm and making a farm a compartment worked for us. But you also need to understand we don't have the amount of farmers in South Africa that you have in America. So for us to control and to manage that concept is easy. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is I think what is different between us and maybe Europe or the US or maybe even Asia, for us, our government, they do not play that big role into the management of provinces. So provinces would be, they would manage their, under the guidance of the national authority that we have, but they will do their own thing. So we just said to ourselves, we need to standardize this process. We can't have 11 provinces and 11 kind of concepts to manage this. We came up with one concept. We asked government to, to do it according to the OAE standard. And we, get, we utilize that one concept on a farm. And each farm is standardized on the same concept. It doesn't matter irrespective of where they are in South Africa. And I think it worked for us. I think what we've learned through that, that is you need to make it less cumbersome. And if I say less cumbersome, you don't, we don't barge on health, but you need to make it, you need to standardize it. And the moment you standardize it and people know what to do, it's easier to do. And there's no conflict of interest between provinces where they do it differently. And it worked. Remember what we also said about compartments is compartments for us is about trade. And we do define exports, but we call it trade. And we say even though I, ex I, I trade between, say, Gauteng, which is one province, to the Cape province with us, that's an export in our minds. If we export from Cape Town to Germany, that's an export. So we reckon that even also as an export. So for us, the standardization brought a lot of comfort in managing the process. And I think it also brought a lot of comfort amongst farmers that we have a unified system. Very interesting on that point. Let's talk about biosecurity because we've talked about a lot of different things here and we're changing some of our biosecurity principles, not only because the ASF, but PERS and, and everything else we deal with. What are some of the key things on biosecurity that your producers do that, that could be an example for the world to get ASF under control? Yeah, I think maybe the first one is biosecurity for us starts with you limit uh, movement. And the less movement you have, the easier it is to be biosecure. So that's the first thing. The second thing is biosecurity is a lifestyle. It is something you don't do because you need to do it. It's something you do because you can't afford not to do it. And we push as hard as we can to put that into that space. I think South Africa lends itself to be biosecure by nature. And if I say that we would have farms that the closest farm to that farm would be 30 kilometers. I don't know how many miles that is, but that's quite far. A pretty good distance. So, yeah. So the way we produce here lends us to be more biosecure out of the, the natural resources that we have. So the new investments in South Africa, and we had a year ago, two years ago, we had a lot of new investments through our own farming community. It's all rural. It's all remote as far as you can. And purely because of the, the biosecurity issue. So that would be one of the, the key things, which I think, which is kind of pristine in South Africa. It, uh, we, it lends us to, to be more biosecure out of the natural resources we have. 
I think some some concepts that we deal with that is, uh, and I think it's worldwide, but focus areas for us. I think uh, spraying booths, going into our farms, make sure that that the vehicles entering a farm or entering a premises or a compartment is quite a big thing. We don't utilize vehicles. So I'm talking about the top farmers now. We don't utilize vehicles in, if, if a vehicle goes into a compartment, it stays there for its lifetime. You don't take it out. We don't take food in. Big farmers do a dry shower, and then the dry shower is not at the wet shower. They drive to the wet shower, and then they do a wet shower, and then they go in. So there are some concepts that really pushes us into a space where we really try to mitigate our risk. So I think that is a, also concepts that we deal with. People is, is always a, a big concern to us because our people don't stay on the farm. Our workers normally stay in townships where they farm with pigs. And that is the way life goes with us. We also manage that through, I think, very strong disciplines. I think and that's something that we as farmers, uh, that we really, really do attend to, to have a discipline in the way that you apply biosecurity. And then I think some stuff we never talk about is for us, if you are a worker on a farm, an owner, or the king of your own farm, biosecurity can't care about that. Even the king shower in and shower out and go through the, the uh, goes through the, the dry shower. So I think that's something that we're quite strict on. We, we're not le- lenient towards anything that goes by. I don't need to do it, to do it today. And I think as South Africans, because we don't have any safety nets mm-hmm. on African swine fever. We are strict on discipline in applying biosecurity. So we call it a military discipline that we push into that space. And I think our veterinarians play a major role in this, uh, in accrediting that and also auditing that, that discipline into our systems. So I think that is a few things that we do as South African farmers. I think when you go to the abattoir side, we also have a protocol on the abattoir side on how to manage biosecurity, where they also are audited. They also go through a protocol system that is audited by external auditors. So they have the internal audits and also external auditors. So we we try to push as far as we can to make sure that the biosecurity goes through the whole value chain and it is well regulated. Maybe two other things we do, and I don't know if the rest of the world is doing it. I think it's common practice, but it works for us. And the first thing is an on-farm biosecurity audit. And we do that through not the vet that's the practicing vet. We utilize uh, other vets purely because I think you can be, to a certain extent, have a, a blind spot if you are the vet on the farm. So we utilize other vets to come in and do a biosecurity on-farm audit. And that audit is not a stick. It's not something to give somebody a hiding. That audit and the outcome of the audit is for us a target to work towards. So mm-hmm. it is something that we turned from a negative into a positive to say, let's work towards that to make sure that we are safe. And that's what I said to you. We are mitigating risk. And I think that's one of the, the ideas that we push into it. So that audit is also done on the abattoirs. It's also done not on the practicing vet at the abattoir, but also external vets. And I think the one that we do that is for us extraordinary is we do a contingency plan on if we have a break. Mm-hmm. And if I say it's extraordinary, I think a lot of people think it, it will never happen. And we, we even us battled with that. And even today, people think 
that it will never happen. And what we found with ASF, if it breaks, if you were not prepared, it's 10 times worse than what it was when it started. So ASF is a slow virus. What we've experienced through, through all the outbreaks, it's not something you happen today and tomorrow in a, say, in a wiener side of, of 10,000 picks, you're going to have the next day 10,000 sick picks. Mm-hmm. It's gradually, but eventually, it just multiplies and it just kills you out. Oh, but you have sick. a grace period of a week, a week and a half. Yeah. And the contingency plan is something that helps us big time to say, you need to preempt what do you do if you break. And, and what, how can you keep the farmer still financial independent? And there are some good methods to do that. And I think, so as said, the South African Pork Producers Organization, we push as hard as we can for on-farm biosecurity audits, and we do a contingency plan, which is then also regionalized and also rolled out as a national kind of concept. Well, my life philosophy is plan for the worst and hope for the best. So it sounds like South African pork producers are very, very similar. Yeah, I think, you know what, for us, African swine fever is not a text, textbook concept. It's reality. And I think we've, through the pain, we've learned that there's no grace in this. You need to push as hard as you can. And, and if you, we all believe we're not going to have it by God's grace. But I can tell you, we prepare as if yep. it is going to happen because it happened in the past. And the, the take is just what we've learned is you can manage it and you can stay financially independent. There is a way, but then you need to act swiftly and you need to, to make sure three days you need to be out. And is it possible? Well, that's what the contingency plan needs to tell us. And if not, that's what we work towards. So we want to take this break to thank our sponsors, the Sunswine Group, Nutriswine, Swine Nutrition Management, and Pig Progress. But we also wanted to remind you of our new Facebook group, the Global Swine Professionals. We're going to be doing something fun, some live interviews, some Q&A, and we just want to hear from our audience. So that's a great place for you to take the time, leave us a comment, tell us what you want to hear, or volunteer to be on our show, because we're always looking for those awesome pork producers around the world. Well, that's all I had. So let's get back to that episode now. Just kind of curious. You have to tell the audience about the story you told me in the outbreak in the slums and how one producer was not able to get ASF. I love that story. Yeah. So again, I think when you ask me in the start, how do we function in informal and formal or commercial, our informal settlement and the way they deal with pigs is not to say it's a lesser quality. It's not to say it's lesser health status. It depends on the, the practice they utilize. But we broke in Cape Town in a, in a place called Infuleni, which is highly dense. It's really slumps. And in that slumps, in the middle, in a highly environmental sensitive area, they farm with pigs. And the total count is 5,000 standing pigs. I think it was 142 owners of the 5,000 pigs. And it's there's no walkway. There's no high fence between pigs it is literally a bit of a wire structure amongst the the pig farmers so there's there's no biosecurity i I can't stand up and say this is the way you're going to do it and this is how your biosecurity is going to be good but what they battled with is they battled theft before they had asf so they were quite good in how to protect their pigs from people stealing their pigs and the one particular farmer, 
So the government went in, we assisted, and there was a lot of work which was done, and we depopulated a few farmers, uh, which they had really a bad, bad outbreak of ASF amongst the farmers that were farming there. And the one particular guy, we didn't depopulate his little pen and his, his farm, or his farm as to say where he farms. And when we got back, so we, we, we did went back regularly on a regular basis, but just to expect this whole 5,000 is going to be infested and we're going to lose all 5,000. He never got ASF. And one of the reasons why is he did two things that was, that was profound. He didn't utilize the same clothes to work inside his little piggery. And I'm not talking about showering in, showering out. I'm talking about, say, a, you, you call it a 40-gallon drum that he cut in half. He put some disinfectants inside, and he, he disinfected his feet while going in. He was the only guy going in. He changed his clothes, and he had dogs around his piggery. So nobody could make contact with him. So what he did was he limited movement. And yeah, I couldn't believe this. I couldn't believe that he survived throughout this harsh condition. If you ask me, I'm a virus, I'll, I'll just look at this and say, you're dead. You're gone. And he could maintain that. And one thing that, that came to mind there is the mind shift he made. The moment that he understood what is going to happen and what he should do, he just, what he had, he utilized and he saved himself. So I think you need to have contact. It's not an airborne disease. It's not something that fly, fly over to the next guy and voila, you have it. There needs to be contact. And that contact is people, pigs, or pork, the meat. And he just prevented that. So in the midst of this harsh condition, he saved himself and he still has his pigs. And it's, it's looking good. So I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the way that he kept himself. The beauty of this is it just gave us enough kind of power again to say to ourselves and energy to say to ourselves it can be managed even though you don't even have all the, the resources and you limit it whatever you have you need to utilize and protect yourself and it works that to me is like a i don't know a great story in the midst of chaos in dealing with it uh, with that producer let's talk about one of the great things about raising pigs in south africa in and talking to different producers and, and working with my friends there a little bit on the nutrition side of things is you guys don't have PERS. Kind of explain, um, you guys have chosen not to um, get PERS. How, kind of talk about that through your decisions and kind of that mindset of not getting some of these other diseases that are financial drains every year for other producers around the world. Yeah, I think it's first to us is a bit controversial because whenever you talk about purse, it is seen to us the way we protect ourselves as a as a trade barrier, which is not. I think as South African farmers, we know that African swine fever imposes a great risk, but the greatest of them all is purse because you need to live with it, but you your production is just going to go down. So we know that, and so as South African farmers, we are to a certain extent, protective over this whole concept to say, how can we protect South Africa not to get purse? So we don't have purse in South Africa. The way we protect ourselves is to make sure that nothing that comes in would impose any risk of spreading purse. So even though you bring or you import from countries where they have purse and you go through the VPN, the veterinarian procedure notion, where you can cook the meat and you make sure that the meat is safe, which we 
also believe in. You need to understand the management thereof is not always on the same standard as what we have in the rest of the world. What do I mean by that? Our systems at the, the ports are not always that good. The protection through the act is not always that good. So sometimes it may slip through. So that's why we as farmers are quite prone and pushy to say, can we prevent this? And please, can can we, if whatever we import, it needs to be clean. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is, I think compartmentalization helped us, where the concept kicked in. So African swine fever is vivid. When you got hit by it, it's a no-no. You know 100% it's going to die. It's a mortality that's absolutely ruthless. And I think that concept of ASF helped us as what the guy with the, he protected and security-wise protected these pigs and he never got ASF. I think for us South African farmers, it's exactly the same kind of concept. That African swine fever taught us that there's only one way. It's either either you in and you say, I'm in for biosecurity and I protect myself, or I'm goodbye. And I think that helped us big time. I think one thing we never talk about, and which is for me as a as a, the manager or the CEO of the industry, is something that's profound for South Africa is we have passionate farmers. And if I say passionate farmers, I, I, I mean they farm with passion. They are involved. We don't manage our farms. We live our farms. For us, farming is a way of living. Farming is, and I, and I think it's the same in, in the US. I've seen many people in Europe also with the same concept. But that's something, if you ask me today, what is extraordinary in South Africa, On uh, if you talk farmer-wise? And I would say to you, I think the passion we have is extraordinary. And that passion goes with health. If, if there's something that a South African farmer is in, if, if I was born in a big farmer's or big farmer's house, the first thing I learn when I can speak is to say, I need to be healthy because that's the way we live. And I think it's so impound, it's so part and parcel of our culture and the way we live and the passion that we have. It helps us to protect ourselves. And I think that's one of the reasons why we still don't have it. That is, I think, one of, part of one of the few reasons. I think the other one we spoke about is, remember South Africa, we don't farm in a dense way. We, mm. We're all over so we can manage it. If we have an outbreak, you can maintain that outbreak in a commercial farm where that farmer is. That's not going to spread to the neighbor who's living 20 kilometers from where that farmer is. So I think that also helps us. On purse itself, I think it's a greater risk than ASF because of the long-term influence on profitability. And the difficult to get yourself out of it. So for us, it is a great risk and it's great concern. And that's why we we really are attentive to fight it and make sure we don't not gonna have it. Well, some great insights of how to properly live with ASF and other diseases and live biosecurity, be passionate about what you do. It's it's always turned on in your mind going in there. But before we go, I always like to give my guests the opportunity to turn the table and ask me a question. So do you have any questions you'd like to ask? Yeah, I would like to learn also. And I think we're in a space where, I don't know, I think the rest of the world are also in there might be different in the way we live and the way we function culture-wise. I think COVID-19 taught us that the world is never going to be the same again. In South Africa, as farmers, we know we're not going to go back to the old normals, what we call it. I think we all, we, we know we're in for, a, for yeah, I think a good journey, but a different journny. I don't know how is, how is it with you in the US. With us, 
to a certain extent, we had the right to farm. And what I mean by that is, I have my land, um, capital is enough to farm, my working capital is good, uh, my management is good, uh, we have a stunning market, huge demand, and this kind of gave us the, the mindset of I have the right to farm, and we farm, and we're good. And all of a sudden, we were deprived by the COVID concept. And also, as you know, we had some looting in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Politically, we, we're not at a good space. Now, all of this just got us to a war where we stopped and we couldn't farm anymore. And I think the concept thing came back where we asked ourselves, how's our future going to look like? And when you think of that future... A different mindset came up to say, but you know what? I don't have the right to farm anymore. I'd rather go into a space where I'm going to be privileged to farm in five years' time. If we just have a look at nature, I think in South Africa, if you're rich and you have a lot of money and you, you want to have a beach house, you normally build it on the beach and sometimes a bit over the 100-year flood line. And what we've learned is one great storm and your house is gone, irrespective of your amount of money. So the question I want to ask you is to say, how do you view the future? And what, what concept is going to give you as, you as farmers the permission to farm in five years from now? And I know you brought this up and you want me to record a video for your uh, virtual meetings that you're having here this fall. And that's a tough question. Kind of hit a, a chord when you explained it and listened to your video and your response. I think that is very valid the right to farm, um, the privilege to farm, um, and changing that mindset. And, you know, I see the internal debate in my country, regardless of the pork industry about, are you vaccinated or you're not vaccinated over COVID? And, uh, you know, our country is, is torn internally on every political issue. It's a hot fire button. But then you drive down to the pork industry and we constantly talk about labor shortages. We talk about, I just talked to a producer, not on top of our labor shortage with COVID and in quarantine, still dealing through that. You know, the future is, is we have to figure out this labor issue, period. And I think the cost of production is going to have to increase. And, you know, that mindset that I really liked and appreciated you know, we have passionate producers that are involved every day. We have a very diverse system here in the U.S. as well. And um, if we look at the Packer agreements and everything going on and these uh, large vet groups doing different management systems, I'm very concerned that we will have 10 to 15 top producers and that's what's going to be left or that's what's going to be competitive. And when you get to that point, that passion that ownership, that changes the mindset. And I think that's our number one labor issue we have in the U.S. is that we have no ownership or no pride in what we do. It's, it's a job. It's, you know, we just check the boxes because that's the type of people we're putting in our facilities. That's even the type of management that we put in our facilities. We check our boxes, we hit our numbers, and that's good enough. And then everything we do, I was even at a poultry conference and we talk about least cost, not best cost. And, you know, I think we're going to really have to change our mindsets. And everybody gets upset because Prop 12 is here and we're just out of options to fight it in the US from a legal standpoint. And, and my mindset is it's here, let's deal with it and let's plan for the next one. Right. And obviously, 
politics change around the states. We have that issue going on between our, like your provinces that you talked about, our states can set their own laws too. So we, we have issues like that, but it's not going to be a land issue to farm. It's not going to maybe be a resource issue to farm, but it's going to be the human capital, I think, to farm. And, you know, unfortunately how the U S has thought about pork production. And I don't know if it's a government standpoint or if it's a national pork producers council standpoint or a packer standpoint, right. You know, we are getting rid of our independent smaller producers. And I think that's going to be really tough. We're, we're talking about even a dairy industry here that so many farms keep going foreclosure because, you know, I go and buy a gallon of milk for a dollar, dollar 16. And you can't raise cattle and and produce that gallon of milk for a dollar 16 a gallon anymore. And so I think the privilege to farm, we're going to need the consumers to support us and be willing to pay higher prices. And we're going to have to get the right people back in our barns because the animal husbandry is not there. The mindset that I'm going to live biosecurity, I'm going to live animal welfare, I'm going to do best cost versus least cost and you know, to me, that's a lot of things we need to look at. We need to have, I think, a different type of leadership in our industry. And instead of attacking and fighting our opponents, we need to come to the table and work with them. And that's what's going to give us the privilege to farm is the producers that sit down with those people and work with them versus thinking that we can lobby and keep fighting them because they have more money, they have more power, and we will lose. Yes, beautiful, yeah? beautiful. Yeah, listen, I, I can tell you something about the passion. You know, if there's passion, there's a way. And uh, sometimes our passion in South Africa was directed in the wrong direction through politics. But farming comes back. And I think the passion to farm and the passion of farmers are, are pushing into a new dimension in South Africa. And what I know about that passion is you don't need to ask somebody to protect himself. It's, na- it's, it's just natural. You don't need to ask somebody to be cost-effective. You don't need to ask somebody to be profitable and production-effective. They just push naturally into that space. And I think that's one thing, that's what I said to you, that helps us against mm-hmm. ASF, is this passion. Because ASF is manageable, but it starts with you. If, if you are an owner of a farm and you have people working for you, and you just need to quickly pop in, and you don't shower in, shower out. You did, because why would your farmers, why would your workers do that? Mm-hmm. And the passion with us is, we live it to such an extent that you don't have the option not to do it because we do it anyhow. It is don't nobody asks me to do it. And I think something that that we as South Africans all, also have is our government plays a lesser role than what you have in the developed countries. So as a developing country, we the role of government is to, to a lesser extent as involved as what you have. The unfortunate part on in the development side is it sometimes gives you a false comfort. It puts you into a false comfort zone. Because I can't care how good your government is. When I walked into my farm, I am the state president. And how do I act? And I need to take responsibility for that. If I have a government that gives me the comfort of, if something goes wrong, don't stress, I'll come in and help you. 
I've missed the opportunity to mitigate my own risks because I'm in a comfort zone. And I think our harsh reality started years ago already, where we realized that not fighting government, not belittling government, they play a major role with us, and it's a, it's a great stakeholder for us. But the moment you walk into that farm, and it's your farm, you're the state president, you call the shots inside the country's kind of concept and protocol. But it starts with you. You need to protect yourself. It starts with the workers. It starts with passion there. So I don't know if you get my point by saying I get it. passion is, is one of the remedies of fighting a disease of overcoming this battle, of, of getting the courage to say, I'm going to stand up. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let go. And I think that's something that is, if you think about a South African farm and you think about that passion, you think about the love we have for what we do and the, the intensity that we farm with. And if you talk to the, the people being suppliers, if it is their farm, as, as, sometimes you need to remind them and say, listen, it's my, my pick, it's not yours. Just calm down. <laughs> but that's what you want. That's what you want inside this thing working together. So I think it's, it's soft issues we never talk about, but with a, a massive outcome if you lose that passion. Because that, when you start ticking boxes, if I'm a virus, it's the first people I will visit. Uh, the passionate people is the ones that I want to run from. The, big, the box ticks us because someday you're going to miss that tick and then the virus is in. No, you're exactly right. It doesn't matter what farm. I'm on. I feel like they're my pigs and they're my responsibility to give them the best life. And I get tired of hearing from our industry, well, there was a reason why we did it that way. Well, it doesn't matter. We have a new reality and a new future and we have yep. to adapt or we will die. That's evolution. You see, so, so, sometimes the reason is good to understand and learn from it. Sometimes we use the reason as a crouch. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but I hate running with crouches. I run with the freedom that God gave me. And, and I think even though we found the reason, we just want to be better. We just want to better ourselves. Well, thank you, Johan. I don't know about all of you, but I really enjoyed some of his comments. What I really found interesting is how they took the idea of regionalization, and they call it compartmentalization, and took it all the way down to the farm level or site level. That's an interesting perspective as we consider of how we're going to deal with ASF in these different countries and regions. As we know, some countries are smaller and some are larger. So some of their insights can be very impactful and helpful for all of us in the industry. So thank you, everyone. And if you get a chance, hug a pig today. Before we go, we want to thank our sponsors again. Swine Nutrition Management, NutriSign, Pig Progress, and the Sun Swine Group. Don't forget to join our Facebook, the Global Swine Professionals. And as always, if you get a chance, hug a pig for me today. <laughs>